Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. If you have your Bibles tonight, I want you to come with me to John chapter 16, verse number 5. John chapter 16, verse number 5. I'm going to read if, if you um, want to listen to me tonight and don't have your Bible, that's fine. But I want to read from the New King James Bible, um, not because I think it's any better than any other translation, but it highlights something that I want to touch on tonight. But before we do, let's get a bit of context into what we're about to read. Jesus and his disciples are in the upper room, and they've just finished um, a final Passover meal. And he's speaking words to them, and they're what I would call his final words before he is going to... Uh, yield his life over to be crucified, to be raised from the dead. And as we track it in John chapter 14, John 15, 16, and right through to 17, we see that he begins to emphasize on the Holy Spirit. And so he leaves his final uh, conversations uh, to be wrapped around the context of the Holy Spirit. John 14, 15, 16, and finally John 17 is... Jesus' prayer, and that includes the Holy Spirit as, as the glory of God um, that is being restored to the disciples. And, and, and I, love, I love reading the conversations of Jesus when he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And so we pick it up in verse number five. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. I want to touch briefly, a brief message tonight about embracing your advantage. Embracing your advantage. I don't know about you, but I don't know what could be better for the disciples, or even for you and I, to experience Jesus in the flesh. And these guys had walked with Jesus. They had broken bread with Jesus. They had lived with Jesus. They had seen Jesus demonstrate uh, the power of the Holy Spirit. They had seen him work mighty miracles and signs and wonders. And uh, uh, I can only imagine what it was like to be in the midst of Jesus as flesh and blood, seeing him demonstrate and do his stuff that he did so well. And yet he makes this profound statement to them that they kind of got to wrap their minds around. In verse 7, he says, But it's to your advantage that I go so that I might send the helper to you. It is to your advantage. Now you've got to pause and think. They don't have a clue what he's talking about. They do not understand what he is on about. The language to them is totally, totally foreign. He's talking about a helper that is going to come to them. Now, we've, we've read the story. We understand what he's on about. These guys are hearing it for the first time. Because in their expectation and their mindset is that Jesus is going to remain with them and he will overthrow Roman power in Jerusalem. He'll be a natural king that will set up a natural kingdom that will overthrow the Roman power of that day. And so in their minds, it's kind of foreign. And many times, in fact, Jesus says this to them. He says, um, you know, you, you are, none of you ask me, where are you going? 
and I find in my journey as I've matured in the kingdom of God, many times when I hear the voice of God, I don't understand where he's going. I don't understand often what he's on about. And yet within the framework of religious Christianity, we want Jesus to confirm everything to us and to sit within our comfortable box. But when you see the conversations of Jesus, he's always stretching the disciples beyond their capacity or their current understanding. And if we're really going to hear the voice of God, we've got to be prepared to go outside of the confines and the comforts of what we've been listening to. He says, and none of you ask us, ask me, where are you going? Because they don't know where he's going. And let's face it, a lot of our journey, I want to be absolutely authentic. I've had 27 years of full-time ministry, itinerating, church planning, building cross-culturally, ministering in all the back parts of India, Asia. I've got a little bit of experience, but understand this, most of the time I don't know what God is doing. And we kind of, as ministers and as conference speakers, we want to portray to you that we kind of got it all summed up. But we're, we're still on the journey of trying to figure this thing out like you are. And we're weak at times, just like you are, at work, nine to five, trying to go through the grind, trying to cope with life, trying to hear the voice of God for your family, trying to make decisions about what sort of fuel you should put in your car or, you know, which place you should... No, that's, that's probably lame to say that, but you know that. But you hear what I'm saying? And many times uh, preachers portray themselves as having, to, having it all together. But the vast majority of our journey is about trying to figure out where God is going. And then he throws this curveball out to them. Guys, by the way, even though you anticipated and expected me to remain in this position, I'm actually going to get out of here, but it's to your advantage. Come on. And everything about the nature of Jesus when he was on earth, and furthermore, the nature of Jesus dwelling within in us as a people is this. He's always about creating an advantage for you and I. It's interesting that he says it's to your advantage. He didn't say it's to my advantage. He didn't say it's to God's advantage. But he said the sole purpose, to paraphrase this, the sole reason why I'm here is to create an advantage for you. Wow. The word advantage means this, to be placed in a superior position, to be placed in a favorable position, to be given the upper hand. The essence of the word can be exampled in this metaphor that a person may be living on the streets, living under circumstances, living under hardship, living under poverty, all of a sudden is infused with power, identity, authority, and is given governance to stand and represent a government. They move from being under circumstances to now being raised up and given the upper hand. He said, it's to your advantage. In other words, I'm going to create a new position for you It's better that I go because I'm going to dwell on the inside of you. And as a result of me dwelling on the inside of you, you're going to be positioned favorably in the earth. 
You're going to be positioned with the upper hand. You're going to be positioned in life to live out of advantage and not disadvantage. And I fear that a lot of us, we know about the Holy Spirit. We talk about the Holy Spirit. But I think a lot of us are not living out of the advantage of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we're living in a disadvantaged place. And it's been a burden of mine in the last month to recapture key elements of the Holy Spirit and begin to talk, create conversation, and revisit what we would classify, that's foundational teaching. But I believe that we, in particular, a lot of millennials have got away from the revelation and the reality of the Holy Spirit. And God is wanting to re-highlight the gift, one of the greatest gifts that He has given to us is the Holy Spirit. Why? Because you can't live as one having the advantage without Him. Jesus is saying it's better that I go so that I can come back in the form of the Holy Spirit, dwell on the inside of you so that you can live as one that's superior to your circumstances. Wow. The word advantage doesn't mean guaranteed. The word advantage doesn't mean that everything in life is guaranteed to turn out good. But here's the key. We've been given the advantage, but that advantage can only be manifest through partnership, through relationship, through cooperation with the Holy Spirit. And I feel that God is wanting to bring us back to the position of intimate connection, a reawakening, if I can say, of who the Holy Spirit is, of how the Holy Spirit wants to work in our lives, wants to work through our lives, so that we can have a testimony that once we were disadvantaged, but now we are advantaged. I can share testimony after testimony about both of our lives, of how we've learned over the years to begin to abide in Him. The moment we've become disconnected from that partnership, we start to operate at a disadvantage. Have you ever been there? The moment we get disconnected from abiding in the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden life becomes hard. Life becomes pressure. Life becomes stressed. And yet God has given us the key, the gateway for all of us to live as one that is above and superior to darkness, opposition, circumstances that are adverse to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so once again, reiterating that everything about the leadership of Jesus is to create an advantage for us. Everything about Jesus is legacy-minded. When Jesus is talking to the disciples, He's predicting and forecasting a coming of the Holy Spirit. In John 17, He talks, He says, I don't pray for these alone, but also for those that will hear My Word through them, that they might be blessed. Everything about Jesus' ministry and the intention of God has legacy in it. And that is the whole ambition and desire of our Father, is to not only touch this generation by the Holy Spirit, but through the Holy Spirit, we have a legacy mindset. We are thinking generations. You know, when Jesus said, it's better I go to create an advantage for you, He had 2019 in His mind. We are so locked in to a framework called time 
that Jesus wants us to come back into eternity, the space of eternity that has past, present, and future wrapped up. That's why he could say, you know, in John 17, he said, uh, I'm no longer in the world. Hang on a minute, you're standing right there on dirt. (laughs) But see, he was living out his future in the realm of eternity. And we have that same privilege. Friends, God is no respecter of people. It's not just about five-fold ministries or a visiting an evangelist that has some wonderful testimonies. He wants us, he wants us as a people. Let me tell you this: what is in the heart of God is to begin to cause the priesthood of all believers to break forth within churches, that the whole intent of leadership is about beginning to activate that priesthood, that royal priesthood of all believers. It's not just priesthood, it is a royal priesthood. In other words, royalty, we are called to rule. We are called to govern out of God in this time, in this space. And God wants a people equipped. God wants a people raised up in this hour who know the Holy Spirit, know how to function in the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter if you've been to theological school. The key that sets you apart is not theological school. I'm not against Bible studies or Bible schools or reading books, but the reality is you can only read a certain amount of books about the Holy Spirit. But something happens that sets you apart, sets you above when you begin to encounter the Holy Spirit. Something begins to happen in your life. You have common disciples that were were scared that Guys like Peter that were like Jacob, they had mixed up identities. They didn't know whether they were Arthur or Martha. They weren't confident in themselves. But who who stood up in the midst of thousands and preached after the power of the Holy Spirit touched his life, filled him from head to toe? It was Peter. It's only the Holy Spirit that can set us apart to become people that are governed by the advantage of His power, of His authority and His identity. Amen. When you go through the Word of God, there, you know, there, are, there are so many advantages that we've been given. I've listed about 15 tonight. And, and I want us to be open in our hearts to hear this because I believe we need to come back because if I was to show, ask for a show of hands, how people are sort of saying, well, look, you know, life's just kind of like status quo. We're going about, you know what's going to change status quo? The Holy Spirit. <laughs> when we start to partner with the Holy Spirit, when we start to begin to take hold of some of these uh, examples of what the Holy Spirit is for in our lives, and we start to live out of this dimension. Number one, he said, I will teach you. The Holy Spirit will teach you. Number two, he will comfort you. Number three, He will help you. Number four, He will guide you. Five, He will show you the future. Number six, He will demonstrate through His gifts. Number seven, He will testify and He will reveal Jesus. Just write in tongues if 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 I'm going too fast. Number eight, He will give you power beyond your ability. Number nine, He will impart truth to you. Number 10, He will enable you. Number 11, He will give life to your body. I love that. If you're struggling in your body, if you're sick in your body, let me tell you, the Bible says that He will give life. The Spirit gives life to your mortal flesh. That His presence is not limited and confined. 
It can touch your body. It can touch the cells in your body. Right now, as I'm speaking, healing can break forth because we believe. Anything is impossible right now, but we've just got to open up that porthole belief. Allow the Holy Spirit to be who He is designed to be, not who we have limited Him to be. Amen? He is in you, number 12. Number 13, He is the Spirit of Sonship. He's our birthright. He's our inheritance. Hello. Number 14, He's your intercessor. Number 15, we can go on and on and on. He is your transformer. It's the power of God in us. But I want to highlight this again, and I want us to recapture this thought. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is not wind. He is not fire. He is not power. They are manifestations of the person. The fire is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. The wind is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. The power of God demonstrated is a manifestation of the person of the Holy Spirit. And if He is a person, that means He has a personality. It means that He has a will. It means that He has intelligence. It means that He has emotions. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11 says, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as what He wills. If He has a will, that means He has intent. He has desire. And He has purpose for your life. And many of us are struggling. God, what is your will for my life? What is your purpose for my life? Let me tell you, you have the answer on the inside of you. You don't need a prophet to prophesy over you the will of God. That's illegal. Because you already know the will of God. It's just you need to tap into it. You need to posture and come in and nestle into the Holy Spirit and start to ask Him, what's your will? He'll start revealing instantly His will for your life. You have intelligence because you have the intelligent one on the inside of you. He has intelligence. He has a will, intelligence, and emotion. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 says this, Even so, no one knows the things of God except who? The Spirit of God. You share the mind of God. Wow. Stop there, park it, and think. You share the mind of God. Come on. You have the intelligence of God via the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. When people say you can't, based on your education, the Holy Spirit says, just listen to me. When you're stuck in your workplace, in your business, or as an entrepreneur, all you have to do is begin to lean into the Holy Spirit and say, I possess the intelligence of God for this situation. That entrepreneurial capacity to innovate is on the inside of me. Whatever situation or circumstance you're faced with right now, you have the intelligence of God on the inside of you. Wow. Wouldn't it be pretty sad if we don't actually tap into that stuff? He has emotions. Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit, by whom you were sealed in the day of redemption. Wow. 
We need to minister to him. We need to listen to him. I believe that 95% of us being a prophetic generation is not about prophesying and speaking. 95% of it is listening. We need to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit. We need to abide in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we need to come back into that fresh encounter and revelation that He is a person living on the inside of you. I've been in situations in foreign countries where if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit and His intelligence, I would be dead today. I was in Nepal, and the first time I went into Nepal was ministering to over 300 pastors and leaders. And the whole time I'm ministering, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, this is not what I've called you to do here in this nation. And so I'm kind of chewing over after each session is going through. I'm feeling discontented on the inside. Some of the discontentment we feel is not because of the pizza we had the night before or the garlic we ate. What it is is the Holy Spirit ministering on the inside saying, don't be comfortable in this place. Keep seeking, keep inquiring because I'm about to reveal something to you. And the Holy Spirit said to me, I've called you to the youth of this country for a five-year period. That thought just kept coming up. And so two days later, unbeknownst to me, there was a complete strike in Nepal right throughout Kathmandu. The Maoists, which are a communist sect within there, if they call a strike and a shutdown, if you're caught working in Nepal during that time, you will be likely murdered. You'll be killed. It's my first time into this nation and I have to exit and go out and catch an airplane and I can't find a taxi driver. Everyone's scared to work. After an hour or so, I find someone that's willing for quadruple the amount to take me what would normally be a 15-minute drive from one location to the airport. He said, I'll do it at this price. I said, well, I haven't got a choice. I'll go. And on our way, we're seeing cars burnt down and shop fronts, you know, burnt down. And we come to the entrance. There's only one entrance leading into Kathmandu Airport. And it's surrounded and shut down by about 300 Nepalese. And to my right, there's a taxi driver being beaten who'd been pulled out of a car, and his taxi's being burnt. And there, the violence, the anger, the emotion that's in that context, we are stopped. Now, I've got a local Nepalese guy who's about four foot ten sitting next to me, and I've got a rowdy crowd surrounding this little taxi, and all of a sudden, I'm surrounded by fear, and the local guy said to me, this is not good. And I knew when the local guy said it's not good, it's not good. The taxi driver is taken out. They begin to beat him. And then they start to open the side door. And by that time, I'm in fear. And panic has kind of come over me because I'm seeing what they're doing and what's going on around about me. But then something happened within that brief moment where I felt the word of the Lord rise up in me. I've called you to the youth. That's all I heard. Now, I was ready with my passport. The king hit the first person I came up against and just run straight into the bush and not stop. Come on, just being real. But all of a sudden, I felt the presence of God, the Holy Spirit come over me. And I shouted out of my mouth, I'm called to preach the gospel to the youth. I shouted it out as loud as I could, screamed it. At that moment, there was a guy. Now, those of you who have been amongst the Nepalese, not many of them are tall people. And uh, there was this one guy who was shoulder, head and shoulders above most of the people that were there. And he started to walk through and he started to quiet down 
the, the, the crowd. And as he was walking through, he was looking in through the front windscreen, coming towards me and looking at me. Now, I had like goosebumps upon goosebumps over me. This is all happening within seconds. And literally the crowd started to part. And he looked at me, he looked at the taxi driver and he called the taxi driver over who obviously had a broken nose, blood all over his face. You've got to understand this is foreign territory for a Westerner like me. I didn't plan for that in my itinerary. And this guy, which to this day I don't know if it was an angel, but all I know is that everything stopped The taxi driver was put in the car, the crowd was parted, and we went and arrived at the airport. And I can share story after story of him, the person of the Holy Spirit that has kept me protected in situations where my life was threatened out on the mission field. He is a person. He loves you. He's been given to you as the greatest gift that mankind has ever had the privilege of receiving. But I believe a lot of us are living in disadvantage rather than the power of the one in us who creates the advantage. And I believe tonight God wants to begin to break some things over us as a people. I just want to share these few thoughts and we're going to close them. I'm going to minister over some people. Romans chapter 8, just sit there and relax You can write it down or you can listen. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Remember, out of those 15 descriptions of the Holy Spirit, one of those descriptions is that he's an intercessor. And in verse number 26 of Romans chapter 8, I love these two passages. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray as we ought. That is an example. We're not knowing how to pray. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for who? Who are the saints? It's you fellas. He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Remember remember his role for you is to create the advantage in your life, yeah? Yeah. He makes intercession for you. It's interesting that the word intercession there conveys the idea of someone that has come across someone that's stuck in a ditch and can't get out. But the person that comes across that ditch discovers the person and swiftly goes into rescue mode and gets into the ditch and begins to rescue that person from that situation. That is a description of what intercession is is. Intercession is not about you. If you are an intercessor, you are focused on another person. When we are interceding for a nation, what are we focused on? The nation. If we're interceding for somebody, we are focused on that person. And the whole role and job description of the Holy Spirit is you. He's completely, if I can use this word, intoxicated with you. He is completely consumed with your well-being because his role is to create the advantage in your life. Remember, that's not a guarantee unless you start to partner with him. He makes intercession. So whoever has been in a ditch, maybe some of you are stuck 
in work, stuck in ministry, stuck in some position, and you need rescuing. Let me tell you, the rescuer, the Holy Spirit, is on the inside of you. And I love the description. When you get into the etymology or the root of that word intercession, it's not someone standing outside the ditch saying, try to get up there, I'll extend my foot, grab hold of it. It's actually getting in the ditch with you. He can feel what you feel. He knows what you're going through. He can identify with the pain that you go through and he furthermore jumps into that ditch, that problem, that circumstance to be with you in the midst of it. Even the emotional state that some of you may be going through, mental depression or any mental health issue, he knows what it's like to feel that as the perfect one in you because he is an intercessor. And love knows no boundaries. Love knows no borders. When you feel at the worst, the ugliness of your life is manifesting, whether it be in the form of like depression or anger or whatnot, He is unconditionally loving you as an intercessor, standing in that problem, standing in that darkness, standing in your ugliness, calling out to you to rescue you. Why? His job description is to create an advantage in your disadvantage. He makes intercession for you. He doesn't stop when you go to sleep. He makes intercession for you. Wow, come on. We've been given the greatest gift, guys. And the only thing that sets this man apart to be able to stand up and minister and sometimes are wowed at these pastors that give out so much, counsel so much, love so much, minister. It's the only thing, the only reason why they can do that, and I know we've said grace, but grace comes from a person. It's the Holy Spirit. Amen. And grace is not discriminative. Well, you're old now, you're 70 years of age. So based on that, it's retirement time. No, it's refinement time. Moses was an old fellow. Abram was an old fellow when God called him. He doesn't wait. See, there's these time regulations that we kind of have. Well, I'm past it now. I'm not, not really called. You are called. He will reveal the mind of God for you right now. That's why I love teaching this because I believe the prophetic is so needed in the church, but it's not for prophets to do all the work, but to train people to tap into the mind of God, to hear the voice of God for themselves, to be equipped and start to take it out there in the marketplace, in the workplace. I've been with my wife when she's given one word of knowledge by name over somebody and that person's life has changed. Is someone in this place and you have this condition and you're over here, is that you? Yes. And that woman's life was reborn that moment. Don't tell me we don't need the Holy Spirit. I'll share this with you. Listen, I was born dyslexic. One of the worst cases of dyslexia uh, many professionals have seen. I had the, uh, the, 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 the spelling level of a seven to nine-year-old. So I spent most of my time outside of school because I got expelled from most schools because I was only interested in girls and sport. Hello, I'm not giving you a sermon tonight, I'm giving you what works. And all of a sudden, as a long-haired lout, a, dr a druggie, 
I'm sitting in a church down the back thinking, these guys are tripped out, Pentecostals. And this evangelist says, the guy down the back with the long hair and the earring in the ear and the bare feet, stand up. Now, I was only interested in surfing Bells Beach, driving my Valiant around. And he said, there's a call of God upon your life. And I see you going to Asia. I see you doing this. I see you authoring books, writing and preaching and teaching, et cetera, et cetera. And I thought right there, that guy had tripped out. He tripped out. You see, the prophetic calls the son out of the slave. The prophetic calls the potential to the fore. You hear me now? Are you getting something tonight? And something started to stir over months and years in my heart about this thing called the call of God. I'm cutting a long story short. Gloria's here. She knows what some of the, some of the journey I've gone through. And you know what? More prophets came along and said, you're called, you're going to author, you're going to write. You're gonna, and um, you know what? The first message I preached, I married a school teacher. She'll tell you the truth is that I got her to read the scripture to me and I rehearsed it and just did it by memory. That's how bad my reading was. And then one night at 11.25 precisely, having all these prophetic words, calling, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. I'm thinking like, this is impossible. It takes me five minutes to read a couple of verses. And then I don't understand them because I have a processing issue. Come on. And the Lord Jesus appeared to me in a, in a vision. And it's not something that happens every week, but it happened that night. How did it happen? Don't know. Don't want to know. It just happened. And he took me out. And the only way I can say to you, he took me out in, in the corner of the building and he took me through Psalm 23. And as he took me through Psalm 23, there were no words. There were just, the words were like thoughts. And, and he took me through scriptures and words. Yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow, and et cetera, et cetera. From this day, you will fear not the way you have felt. The root of fear has been broken over you. I came back and I looked into those deep blue eyes of Jesus and his bronze feet. And as I looked into those eyes, healing came into my head, into my brain. <laughs> I said to Christine, I'm going to go back to night school. I got expelled from year nine and year 10. I went back. I, st- I studied under her tuition. She had a special teaching thing and I, I learned how to spell. I went from the bottom to the top. I went back and did year 10. I went from the bottom to the highest grades you can get. I went further studies, I studied and all of a sudden my reading started to click in, my writing started to become fluent and then I started to write and write, I couldn't stop writing and then years down the track I authored my first book, then my second book, then my third, then my fourth, etc, etc and all of a sudden I found where I couldn't read, it's just fluent, where I couldn't process, it just came and I stand here as a result tonight, not trying to throw a sermon down your throat, but to say, he created the advantage in my life, but I had to partner with it. I didn't sit there and say, well, now I believe it's going to happen. I had to go back to night school. I had to face my fears. I had to go back and say, you know what? I believe in you, Holy Ghost. I believe the word of the Lord will not come to pass apart from my partnership with you. Yeah? I don't care whatever you're facing today. You have an intercessor. I want to close on this final thought tonight about the role of the Holy Ghost. He says in verse number 27, For the Spirit himself makes intercession for us 
Here is this word, it's a mystery, with groanings. Everyone say groanings. The word groanings there means to vent or aspirate. To vent or aspirate. An example of that is when, I don't know, back in the day, Glory, you'd understand this, when you're going to put the billy on or the kettle on, all right, and you've got to crack up the fire. Old days, young people, we wouldn't know what I'm talking about. But you put the kettle on, you add water in, it still doesn't change the whole dynamic of what the kettle's for until you crack the fire on. When you crack the fire on, as it starts to heat, the molecules start changing in the water, pressure starts to build up, steam starts to be created on the inside of that kettle, and all of a sudden, that quiet little kettle starts to make noise, yeah? It starts to whistle, it starts to bubble, and we used to have one back in the day, and it would just about shout at you. It's like you know, shouting out aloud, it'd whistle, then it'd start to turn into like, and you feel like it's going to explode it would start to aspirate. It would start to vent. And that's like the word groaning. He makes intercession for you. He rescues you in your dilemma and he presents to you the mind of God, the intelligence of God, the will of God, the purpose of God, the intent of God. But sometimes, I don't know about you, when I've been on this journey, walking daily, doing life, there's this like, groaning there's this venting that happens on the inside of me and I don't know what to do other than to begin to pray why it's a good indication that the Holy Ghost is beginning to aspirate he's beginning to percolate he's beginning to turn up the fire on the inside of you and he wants to give you utterance it's called praying in tongues and as you begin to pray in the Holy Spirit you're uttering a language you're uttering a, a, a culture that is born out of the heart of God that can't be understood by the, the logic and the reason of your natural mind but all of a sudden let me tell you I am the byproduct of hundreds and hundreds of hours of visualizing and imagining going into Asia, going into the nations, writing books, standing up and preaching. I would stand in the mirror, pray in tongues and visualize for days, even before I was even asked to preach as a 23, 24-year-old, having all these different issues. But praying in the Holy Ghost, let me tell you, it's not a Pentecostal doctrine. (laughs) It's a doctrine of the kingdom. And without it, let me tell you, you're missing out on the creative power of God bubbling up on the inside of you. You know, many times when I know not what to do in life, I pray in the Holy Ghost. And let me tell you, five, ten minutes praying in the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, bang, the mind of God comes. My wife was, was born into divorce, abuse, No father, a mother that has bipolar, schizophrenia, mental health issues, is raised on off food, is raised on trying to get food from the the, the neighbours next door. Let me tell you, I've seen this woman come from a place when I first met her with so much anxiety, so much angst, can't sit still, is, is ready to explode. Because her mother was that way, and her mother was that way, and her mother was that way. And yet we united together. And we would pray long hours in the Holy Ghost, dreaming that this this thing, this generational curse was going to break. That we were going to stand and see our children free from that stuff. That the word of the Lord that God had spoken over us was going to come to pass. And while we're trying to mess around, his tongues for today, is it passed away? Let's get on with the deal, man. Let's get into the kingdom of God, get into the river and start flowing. 
Friends, as I close this message and we continue to minister tonight, I want to say this to you. We need a fresh revelation of the power, of the love, of the comfort, of the care of the Holy Spirit. You won't move from being a survivor to becoming a thriver until you allow the Holy Spirit into your life in a rich way. If you are born again, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. But there is an extra dimension to the Holy Spirit. Even though Jesus had believers following Him, He still breathed on them fire, power, and life of the Holy Ghost. They were baptized in the Holy Ghost. Even though they were believers and they were filled with the Holy Spirit prior to the upper room, they received power in the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I want to put out this cry from God tonight. Come back and reintroduce yourself and get acquainted with the Holy Spirit in a fresh way and come out of disadvantage and come to the place of living in the advantage of the Holy Spirit. It works, guys, because I'm standing here as a result of it. My teacher came to one of my meetings many years ago and he said, if this is what God can do, I want God. My math teacher who kicked me out and nearly expelled me. He saw two of my books down the back and said, I knew what, what you had. I knew the struggles in your life. And I've sat under something tonight that is a miracle of God. I want Jesus. He's now pastoring. It's the only thing that distinguishes us above circumstances, situations. It's the Holy Spirit. We love Him. He's real. Can I put an invitation out for you? And I hope you don't go home going, I wish I had have come forward. Can I just be real? I'm pretty straightforward and real. If you know that you are living in the disadvantage, you really don't know the Holy Ghost the way you should. You're good and professional at doing church and you know how to sing hallelujah and lift your hands, but there's an absence of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Would you come forward? You can sit, kneel, you can stand. I understand it.